up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 3, Episode 14. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you have ever wanted to write your book or get it published, you'll find all the mentoring that you'll need to fulfill that book launching and book writing dream at BookLaunchMentor.com. Now, right now, registration is open for my next mentoring intensive. You can go to BookLaunchMentor.com forward slash mentoring intensive, and that is going to run July 17th through 21st. And we've got several spots already filled and a few left. So if you're interested in doing that, then go ahead and check out that page and find out more information. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to highlight the iTunes review of the week. And today's is uh, by someone named Cluck65. And honestly, if I've read this one before, please forgive me because I have, it looks a little familiar to me. But anyway, it's very short and sweet. And it says, I love hearing how God transforms us through our pain. I would so appreciate it if you could write a little bit about the incredible stories that we hear on the Restory Show. You can review it and share it and expand the reach of these powerful messages that we're hearing about healing and restoration. So if you could just go to iTunes and write a little couple sentence review, that would really be great. And if you'd like to be on the Restory Show and uh, you want to share a little quick testimony, you can go to booklaunchmentor.com or marriedmuth.com because both of those places have the little icon on the right-hand side that's a microphone, and you can record your little story, and it will get up on one of the Restory Show episodes. So be sure to do that if you'd like to share your story with a wider audience. Today, I am welcoming author and speaker and mommy Candace Curry, and she has an amazing story about her childhood and what God did to redeem um, some of the difficult parts of her childhood. So before I let you know all the things and tell you more than I need to tell, I'm going to let her tell her story. And here is Candace. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Restory Show. And I'm really excited to have on today Candace Curry. And she's got an amazing story from what I can tell and what I've discerned. And uh, Candace, thank you so much for coming on the Restory Show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Appreciate it. Awesome. So Candace, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you were raised, just a, a, whatever snapshot you want to give us and where you are today. I was raised where I am now. I was born and raised in San Antonio and I had an older brother, two years older than me, my mom and dad. Growing up, my, my dad was a con man, the kind you see on like Dateline or 2020 on own. And so we kind of had this hectic childhood that my mom did her best to keep grounded, but my dad did his best to kind of like mix it up a little bit. But we, I've, I've grown up here. My kids go to the same elementary school that I went to, same middle school. I mean, when I say that we're rooted, we're really rooted. <laughs> and I got married in 1999. That was to my first husband. We have a daughter together who is 17. And then him and his wife and my husband and I, we all co-parent her together. And then am married to my husband. Now we have five children total, including um, my oldest. We have triplets. Oh who my. Are, yes. <laughs> Or, uh, we we said let's just have one more baby, and then we and spontaneously had three more babies. So we have ten year old triplet girls, 
And then um, after everybody's like, oh, are you going to, you know, not have any more kids? Because it sounds outlandish to have more kids after you have a, a herd, a, a litter of children. And we said, no, we're just going to let God do his thing. And so six years later, we had another child. So I am a mom to five and one in high school and one who hasn't even started elementary school, which is so crazy. But um, my husband works hard and I take care of the the kids at home and I don't homeschool them. I send them to school for my sanity. And then he he works and, and I write. And you have a book coming out. What's it, what's it called? And you've already kind of hinted at it. Yeah. So my book comes out in two weeks on May 16th, and it is called The Con Man's Daughter. It's a memoir about my life growing up, desperately seeking my worth and approval through him. And he was just, I mean, off the charts. And so it wasn't until much later in life that I found out that my worth came from my heavenly father, not my earthly father. And that's the basis of the book. Awesome. And so um, I know that you have a story to share today with the listeners. And so what story would you like to share? I'll share about my dad a little bit because it, it touches on the on the book, really. We grew up, I thought he was like the knight in shining armor guy. Like we drove stolen vehicles without knowing it. He would just kind of like test drive them off the lot and give them to us for our birthdays and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, so Dad. We, yeah, it was like we were like, woo, all excited. And um, it w- wasn't really until my mom was actually arrested for driving a stolen car that we kind of got the magnitude of it as kids. And um, I remember we would get cars and my mom would be like, oh, don't get attached. Don't love this car. It's not yours. And we were like, woohoo, new car, you know. And every time, every time they were taken away from us. So that was kind of like the level of, of um, parent that we dealt with. Wow. So what was your earliest memory now? And looking back, you probably didn't know it at the time, but your earliest memory of your father doing something nefarious with the law. Oh, gosh. We, it, we, were, we were pretty little. I would say early elementary school. I can remember the FBI coming to our house. So I didn't, I didn't grasp that it, I mean, I know that FBI showing up to your house isn't like great, but I didn't under, you know, but that it was more like a meeting, you know? Um, so I knew that we were different. I knew that something about him was different than the dads that were, you know, uh, going and selling insurance or what have you, you know, the normal um, nine to five jobs. I just didn't get that it was bad, I guess. And if that makes sense, I just didn't, it was so normal to us. Uh, did you ask him like, dad, why did the FBI agents come? I mean, was this a topic of conversation or was it kind of a hush hush or how did that oh, get? No. We asked, yeah, we were nosy little kids. He always said that he was an informant for the FBI. And so, you know, I, I didn't know what that meant. I thought he worked for the FBI. I didn't know an informant for the FBI. I didn't know that he had done something bad. And in turn, had to help them. I thought he was like applied there, yeah. <laughs> got a job with the FBI. So I didn't, I didn't get that he had done something wrong. I just, when I was in high school, we have this newspaper in San Antonio called The Current, and it's like a free magazine that's outside HEB or your grocery store or whatever. And I got to school one day, and somebody said, "Hey, your dad's on the cover of The Current," and I was just mortified because you know I had. N- who knew why he was on there? And so we got it and it was a whole story about 
how he was an informant for the FBI and would crawl through the air conditioner ducts and listening to people's conversation and real like cloak and dagger work. And for me, it was just humiliating. My friends thought, oh, that's so cool, you know, but it was so embarrassing because the story was blown up. My dad was a compulsive liar. So I knew there was just, you know, not much truth to all of it or what truth. I, I didn't know truth from his lies. You just, you never knew. And I didn't know the extent of it until after he died. I had really just thought he was lying to me the whole time, you know, like in high school and, and a little later in life, I just thought he was, um, had, you know, mental illness. And I just thought everything he said was made up. So yeah, he, he, I knew very early on, I just didn't know the magnitude of it, but I always knew there was something. Something off. Would your, did your friends discern this, like your close friends in high school, did did you disclose it to them or how did, did you just keep it quiet? Well, I think my friends saw my dad as like the fun, charismatic guy. Cause I mean, he was just hilarious and everybody loved him. And he was the dad that like, when my friends got speeding tickets, he was like, Oh, get, just give me that speeding ticket and I'll take care of it. And somehow he would take it down to the court and get it taken care of. And I have no idea how, so they thought he was like the coolest guy ever. He was the dad that would just like hand us a hundred dollars and say, go to the gas station, get whatever you want. So while it was like humiliating for us, they loved him. Our very close friends knew he was different. You know, I've had the same best friend since I was six years old and she definitely has known that he's, you know, not all that legal. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the ones close to us knew, yes. But like just our, our general friends in high school, they just thought he was fun loving the cool dad that they wanted. And we were looking at their dads like, no, you're, he's, you know, your dad is the good one that. He works for a living. <laughs> yes. That is legit and, and does well. And it's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Don't, don't wish for my dad who's, you know, the jokester and that's makes them look like fun. It's not. Uh, so you have siblings, I'm assuming. So I have, my brother is two years older than me. And then my dad remarried and had three more children. So I'm 41 and I have siblings that are 22, 21 and 18. Wow. That's yeah, different. So, definitely. So I was 23 when my sister was born. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. I have a daughter they're a year apart. My oh, that's sister funny. And my daughter <laughs> are a year apart. And she, my sister lived with us for the last two years. And so when I would take the girls out, they'd be like, oh, your mom. And my sister's like, gross. No, that's not my mom. That's my sister. And, you know, it was just confusing because they're basically the same age. And one is an aunt. <laughs> yeah. And one is a niece. That's yes. <laughs> So yeah, when, at high school they they were at high school together. Oh gosh. And so when you were with your brother, did you guys ever like steal away and kind of talk about it? Or I mean, this part oh, of yeah. it just makes me like really curious. <laughs> yes, we always. My brother and I were very very close. My older brother and we always we were a team, you know. And a specific story was that he went to college. My brother went to college in Lubbock, and my dad pretended to be, I don't know, working for some bank. Uh, I, I have no idea. But somehow he acquired this house and told my brother that he had bought the house for him, moved my brother into the house with two other friends. And they were living there. You know, they thought that was their house. They were going to school. Well, then the owner showed up 
the house was never for sale. It was just some vacant house. And so my brother and his friends were kicked out of this house that somehow we were, you know, like a stolen house, however you do that. And I remember my brother would call me at four o'clock in the morning, just crying and crying because he was embarrassed and he, you know, was then angry at my dad and kicked out of the house and all that kind of stuff. But we never wanted to hurt my mom. We wanted to protect her. We didn't want her to worry. So we would just kind of make our little pact and, and secretly be angry or tell our secrets so that she wouldn't have the burden because she had the burden of fully supporting us financially and emotionally and, you know, raising us. And so we tried to spare her anything like that. So we always leaned on each other. And so when your mom and dad were divorced, was it, was your mom just kind of fed up or did it, was, I mean, I would have been, yes. but yeah. Definitely fed up. Um, but they were, they were high school sweet, sweethearts. They started dating when they were 16. And funny story that when my mom, who was a cheerleader and kind of the good girl started dating my dad, who was just, I don't know, you know, that I, I, when I think about him in high school, I always think of Danny Zuko from Greece. I always think of him like, the leather jacket, the cool guy, you know? And so when my mom started dating him, the, the, the principal called her into the office and told her not to date him. Wow. <laughs> I know. And just the other day I said, well, how'd that work out for you? You know, and she goes, well, it worked out great. Cause I have both you kids. And I said, fair enough, you know, but um, yeah, I think she just forever knew nothing else, but my dad. And so, and I, I think, you know, falling in love with him at 16, it was just so deep for her, you know, when you're, that young and that, that, that love, and then you have children. And so she tried and tried and hung on for a long time. She really tried to make it work and always give second chances and give hope. And then just completely, you know, yeah, fed up is all I can say. She was done. And I think it was a relief for all of us. How old were you at that time? So they, they divorced twice. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> they divorced <laughs> When we were in middle school and then remarried shortly after, I really don't know how long. And I don't even remember it being, really being a divorce. I think they, that like they officially stopped marriage, dating, it, being involved in each other's lives at all. Really, maybe when I was like 15-ish around there um, is when she finally totally had it and cut it off. And I can remember the first time it was just me and my brother and my mom going to dinner without my dad. We had the best time and we laughed and everybody was relaxed. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is just so nice. Cause he was just always um, manic. He um, had highs and lows. And so we never knew which dad we were getting. So there was always this panic anytime we were all, you know, sitting down to dinner trying to eat or whatever. So I remember when he was finally gone, it was like we breathed. Mm -hmm. You let out your breath. Oh my gosh. And we just so enjoyed each other. And we hadn't had that chance in a long time to like truly just be together and love it, you know? Wow. That must have been bittersweet and also amazing at the same time. Yeah, very much. It was amazing. And and I mean, honestly, we didn't want them married, so we didn't want him around. And so it was it was a huge relief for me and my brother. I know that I know that my mom felt a burden. I do. Um, so it was probably very hard for her, but she was brave face, always brave face for us. And, you know, I have found growing up the way I did, and I had an enigmatic father and uh, he died when I was 10, but there had been already a, a divorce 
before that. So I never lived with him. But one of the things that was hard for me was kind of forgiving my mom for allowing me to be with him when he, because he was an unsafe person and predatory. And so as you've worked through this in retrospect, and I'll ask you about how Jesus fits in all, all this in a bit, but um, how have you dealt with kind of viewing your mom and how has that process been for you? Gosh, I, m- my mom has always like been my number one cheerleader and she's really, she's a really good mom. And I almost, I don't, I'm not bitter towards her whatsoever. She's my best friend. She lives next door to us. It's, we have this wonderful relationship. And I think, yeah, there was probably a time that I was angry that she would just not leave, you know, just get him out of here. But I also had great compassion for her that I know she just desperately wanted the family dynamic. I, I, she desperately wanted her family together. And as a mom now, I can see that, you know, I can see that you're like, gosh, I just don't want to have the split home for my children. I don't want to do this to my children. Um, on the flip side, it was, it was more um, detrimental to us for them to stay together, of course. But um, I think that he was such a good con man and such a good manipulator that I really can't falter for, for believing or falling for it or anything. I just can't. I mean, everybody in his life did. I would have to hold bitterness all the way around, you know, to myself, to everybody. And it's not our fault. It's not her fault. You know, it's, he was good. He was just really good at what he did. And so I don't, I don't hear. No, I hear, I hear you. We, when we moved to France, we sold our home to a con man we met in church and uh, we were forced to go into foreclosure and all sorts of terrible things happened to us because of our trust of this very good con man. And we had always thought of ourselves as extremely savvy and um, very good judge of character with good red flags and all of that. And we were duped. And so I definitely understand the lure of that. And, and so he remarries and does this ever catch up with him? his activities. Cause it, you know, I watch American greed and I see the reason I watch it is because we've been taken advantage of as a family. And so there's something very satisfying about watching that show because at the very end of the show, they're in prison and they are, they have been caught and it caught up with them. So I'm just curious, like if he ever had that experience. So I think little things caught up with them. I don't think, I don't think what I think he deserved to have caught up with him ever did. You know, I always thought like, God, he should just be locked away. But um, he did spend time in prison. Gosh, um, maybe early 2000. He spent time in prison and I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure for what, but it's some embezzling something, some financial um, laundering con something. But he did do time in prison. I want to say four years, but I could totally be wrong. I was not in his life. I had cut him out by that time, but he did have my siblings. He was married to um, their mom at the time. So he did get a little bit, but then, you know, he got out and went right back to what he was doing. But I think towards the end of his life, even though he was still doing what he does for a living, because he knew nothing else, he left, he, he led a sad life. So I think that that's, that's the consequence. That's the consequence. I mean, he he's never met my children. He's never met my brother's children. And he doesn't, you know, ne- never met our spouses. He kind of, he was homeless at a point. He just kind of lived with whatever woman he could live with. So 
I think that's like kind of the ultimate, you know, here's, here we are with, you know, homes and and my mom's next door and my grandkids or her grandkids, my kids run to her door every day after school and tell her about their day. And she gives them a piece of candy, you know, very sweet grandparent, grandchild moments. And, and, you know, I talk to her daily. So I think he missed out on that. And I think that's the ultimate consequence. I think not having the love of your family or a relationship is worse than any time in jail. I would, I would agree that that would be just, just really hard. I, I remember reading a book called The Sociopath Next Door, and not to say that your father was a sociopath, but what was interesting about the book was that what they found was those kinds of people who were able to kind of roll over others or con others could do it until they were about 50. And then they had run out of all their relationships. And then everything got really sad really fast. And so yes. it sounds like he's fit that pattern. Oh, yeah. He, he's, he is a sociopath. He's a diagnosed sociopath. And so um, with such a interesting <laughs> upbringing, where does Jesus fit into all of this? Well, I I grew we didn't go to church growing up. Um, I know my mom was a believer and she grew up in the church with her mom, but it wasn't part of our daily lives. And that's, you know, I don't, nobody's fault or anything. It's not like I, I knew who Jesus was and who God was. I just, for me, I thought that God and Jesus were the, for the people who were good that already had their lives together that, you know, hadn't been through what I'd been through or done what I'd done. So I didn't know that God knew who I was. Certainly didn't think God loved me or Jesus loved me. And so um, after I had my first daughter and I was a single mom, I would take her to the church up the street. And I just kind of like randomly, boom, I'll pick that church, you know? So it wasn't even a fit for us. And I couldn't, I didn't fit in. I just kind of snuck in. And so it wasn't until um, she was about eight and my cousin signed her up for the choir at the church next to our house. And she would take her every Wednesday. And my daughter accepted Christ in the middle of that. And I, and I kind of was like, okay, now I have to take her to church, you know, cause here's, here's my little girl, um, thirsting for this and I'm going to, I'm going to provide it, you know, even if it's not something I'm comfortable with. So I went in there very uncomfortable and, you know, that's perfect opportunity for the Holy spirit to start doing his work. And so Jesus started working on me. Um, it wasn't until about 2010. My husband and I were not believers when we got married. We kind of had bitter hearts and didn't want to be part of a church or anything like that. But in the midst of me going to church, Jesus started to get a hold of me and really, really changed the way I viewed my dad and started to like place this forgiveness on me that I didn't know was possible and kind of this compassion and sadness for him instead of hate, because I wasn't a forgiver. I was a grudge holder. I really enjoyed holding grudges. I did. It was like one of my strong points. But when I met Jesus, he just like, he changed me like the, his love and what he had done for me. And oh my gosh, how could I, how could I not forgive and love others the way he does me, you know, I just felt like that was kind of a disservice to who Jesus was and and what he had done for me. And so I really, it really started to change. Forgiveness for me was huge. That's what Jesus did for me is teach me forgiveness. You were forgiven. And because of the gratitude you had toward him, that now is your job to forgive. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Even if forgiveness isn't asked for, 
because because I had never asked Jesus for forgiveness because I didn't I didn't know him. I didn't know what he was about, but he had already forgiven me before I even asked. And so I try to do that in return. Like that's kind of my my focus and my mission, you know, um, is to is to really model forgiveness behavior. So I had forgiven my dad when I met Jesus, which I'm extremely thankful for because when my dad died, I think even though it crushed me, I think without Jesus, it would have destroyed me completely. You know? In what way do you think it would have destroyed you without Jesus? I think that because I have Jesus, I, I have this peace about my dad and his sins not being mine. I really, you know, I really, for a long time, had carried my dad's sins. And I thought that others viewed me the way they viewed my dad. And so I just thought we were like this one thing. I also know that Jesus already forgave my dad. And so through his death, I mean, I, I have to let it go and give it to God because my dad's not my responsibility. His sins aren't mine. And I had carried them on my shoulders for so long that when he died, it was such a release. And I know that sounds crazy sometimes when I talk about his death, like freeing me, but it really did. I think I worried about him. He was old and well, not old, but he was getting older, you know, and I just worried about him being taken care of. And, and now I know that Jesus kind of just took care of all that for me. Um, I think without Jesus, I would be so anxiety ridden and just scared for my dad and for me and what am I going to tell my kids and all that kind of stuff. Cause he, he um, took his own life, which is a whole nother beast. Right. So um, it's so haunting. And so I think without Jesus, I just, I wouldn't even know how to process it. I wouldn't know true forgiveness and true love and, and kind of just peace that this is my temporary home. And so I need to just breathe and let God handle it, you know? That is an amazing story. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. We, especially people with difficult parents or maybe fathers. I, I meet a lot of people with father issues. And how have you kind of come to the place where you've recognized that God the Father is different than your earthly father? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I realized that I knew it before my dad died, but I think I've really felt it strongly after he died. God, for years, I just thought that if my father, my earthly father didn't love me and respect me, then there was no way God could, if that makes sense. I just thought like your earthly father was the be all of your worth, which gosh, I can only imagine how many kids, but I think especially little girls feel that way. And so I as he was kind of like not giving that to me, I searched elsewhere. And so, you know, I grew up kind of not the greatest kid. Um, I got in trouble a lot. I, I searched through other men. I, I just was desperate. And then finding God and, and him kind of like taking over that role and going to him, I didn't know what prayer was. And oh my gosh, prayer gives me such peace and such understanding, and it calms my heart. And um, it's the time that I can and really go to my dad, go to my my father, you know, and say, "This is how I feel." And and he truly just comes down and, and fills that hole because such a hole where your earthly dad leaves 
my heavenly father just really came in and filled it with like amazing things that I didn't, I didn't know existed. And through redemption, I think really, because that's how he kind of showed me his love. He started healing all these small things for me to show me how much he cared about me and that he'd been there with me the entire time. It's amazing when we trace back our stories and we can see the fingerprints of God and we didn't even know it at the time. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. And you're just, when you're knee deep in the quicksand, you're like, are you serious? You know, like, how is this? What is this good as this? And then when you get to the redemption part, you're like, oh my gosh, you were there. You were, you know, had your hand in it the whole time. And, and our time is so long and crazy. And his time is so small or quick, not small, quick that gosh, you know, even when it's 20 years later and he redeems something, I have to like be thankful for it. If that makes sense, whatever, whatever the quicksand was, Mm -hmm. it in turns makes me thankful for going through that because now I can show hope in that situation and hopefully give hope to others if they're in their quicksand. That's good. And so that kind of relates to my next question. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's maybe grown up with a problematic parent? especially like as an adult child of one that I had to own my story and, and, and I had the power over my story. I didn't have to, I kind of sunk into who my dad was. And so I put all my energy in that. And when I turned my energy, like turn your energy and, and take your focus, put if you put your eyes up to Jesus and, and trust in him, then he is going to change all of it for you. And I know it seems impossible because I was there and it was like, there's no way there's good in this, but there is, you know, I say, just look to your worth because we find so much worth in our parents naturally as humans, you know, and dynamics of family that when you have a problematic parent, that's not feeding that for you, that's not putting you on the path that you should be on. That's not teaching you about Jesus. That's not showing you who God is. You kind of have to take that power and, and do it yourself. Unfortunately, that's just the way it goes. When you have that kind of parent, you have to, you have to adult up, which is sad, you know, but we become, we become adults pretty quick when you, I mean, you, you might know that from losing your dad so young and you you kind of like have this inner, dialogue of growing up quick, but truly, I mean, my, and also forgiving your parent, um, because you got to forgive them for being human and for not knowing. And even if they knew, I don't, I just true, true forgiveness because you can't let it go without forgiving it and letting it go is so important because you do not own your parents' sins. I was huge on owning my parents' sins, my dad's sins, huge. Like I just thought whatever he did was on my shoulders. So letting go, forgiving, and handing their sins over to Jesus because they don't belong to you. And that is a very, no matter who in the audience is listening, that is a huge burden to bear, whether it be a parent or you're bearing the weight of your children's sins or your best friend or your spouse. Like no one, we're not equipped to be that kind of a burden bearer. Only Jesus's shoulders are big enough for someone else's sin. And, uh, we, and we can also get pretty enmeshed, which is why sometimes God calls us to do the kind of the brave thing and to, 
enact some boundaries for our own self and our own health and not an easy thing to do either. And kind of act, like you said, to act like the adult in the situation and to protect your own children if if you're fearful of how the influence will be. And I mean, there's just so many, there's a huge hairdo there <laughs> that is hard to be untangled. But Well, and you said about boundaries. I mean, it's so scary to put up boundaries, especially when you're talking about your parents, but it's so important. I mean, for our own relationship with Jesus, you know, set boundaries, healthy boundaries. You have to in in every relationship, you know, but yeah, the second you set boundaries, I'm like, oh yes, for sure. Knowing when, when it's your best friend or, you know, your children, even like this is yours and you need to own it. And I think also with our kids, we rescue them from their sins, you know, yes, letting them face the consequences of it. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. The boundaries are huge. I, they've been very good for me in my life. Hard to enact, but good in the long run. Definitely. So if you look at over the last year, how has God restoried you or given you a new story or restored you? I love that he's allowing me to, to talk to others because I had such shame in my story that I didn't want people to know who I was, uh, who, who I truly was. People knew who I was, but, um, and I think over the past year, he's really released that from me and said, go out and tell your story. It's going to give somebody hope. It's going to pull somebody out of their prison. So really over the last year, he's, he's given me that power and lifted the shame. I just, I don't, I'm not fearful anymore. Um, and I think when that starts to happen and you have this confidence in who you are, it shows in, in my people, you know, in my kids and my kids see this growing confidence. And so it gives them a boost and brings them closer to Jesus. Cause if Jesus is doing it for mom, Jesus can do it for them, you know? Um, so I want to model that no fear in my faith. And I think he's really given me that opportunity with the book coming out and kind of like giving me the courage to write the book. Because when you, I'm sure, you know, put, <laughs> put your life on mm-hmm. in black and white, and then it's about to come out and you're like, oh my gosh, now people are going to know, but he's continuously over the year just said, they're going to know, but they're going to know what I did. You know, they're going to know the re- redemption part. So be fearless and, and take the shame off. And it's really, it's really taken this burden off of me and freed me. I just feel so free. I don't, I don't, you know, I'll just tell anybody and tell them what Jesus is. I used to be afraid of stepping on the wrong toes because we're in such a society of don't say God or, you know, it's being careful about religion out the door for me. You know, I'm like, I don't even care. You're going to know about my Jesus. You can run. I'll chase you, whatever. <laughs> but he's taken and given me confidence in my faith because because I didn't grow up in the church. I'm always afraid that I'm saying the religious thing wrong. Like, oh, gosh, am I misquoting something or am I wrong about this? Because I don't I didn't grow up with Bible verses or going to Sunday school. So it's all kind of fresh for me. And it's, it's, even though it's been, you know, eight years, it's still fresh. I mean, you can, the Bible will always be fresh, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had fear of speaking to people who I thought were smarter and closer to God and, and all that kind of stuff. I was scared. And this past year, he's like, no, we're not, we're not going to have that fear. You're just going to go out and I'll give you the words. Don't worry. You know, I got this. And so letting him live through me this past year has been really, really freeing. That's so encouraging. And I think the audience will be really encouraged by that too, because I think we all struggle with that fear of 
what do I say? And, and you're right. The Holy Spirit gives us the words that we need when we need them. We don't need to worry about that. And really it's all about, it's about his glory in our story. I was at a retreat and that was their theme, his glory in our story. And I thought I liked the way that rhymed. And, um, yeah. it's really about that. It's not about all of our hardships. We're not talking to an audience to help them feel sorry for us. We're talking to an audience to, to magnify the one who bore the weight of all those sins. And that's what it's, it's all about Jesus and what he's done. Amen. I, I, I've had that fear too of the book coming out. I'm like, I, it's not a pity party. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you the dirt so you can see how Jesus washed my feet. Right. You know? Good point. So I want people to come to Jesus with the dirt on their feet so that he can wash them. That's what I want for them. You know, that's what I want out of the book. I don't want them sad for my hardship. I want them to bring their hardship the way I did so that he can redeem it. That's why I tell the story. And that's a beautiful way to end our podcast today. And Candace, thank you so much for coming on the Restory Show. I really appreciate it. Your story's powerful, and I love how you love Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, I'm grateful that we are not imprisoned by our past, that we are not destined to repeat what our parents did and that we are not connected to them in the sense of we do not have to bear the weight of their sins or feel the shame of what they've done. And I'm just so grateful for the cross. So I pray for those today who are listening who may feel that connection to shame or maybe have done some things themselves that they feel really bad about. But your cross says it all. Your cross is such a great blessing. It causes us all to be forgiven and to be clean and to be set free and the shame is gone. And so Lord, instead of living underneath a a black rain cloud of shame, I pray you just dissipate those clouds and help us to see the sun today, the, the bright light of your grace and your redemption. Give us a new perspective on our lives and thank you that right now we can start brand new. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you'd like to know a little bit more information about today's show and the show notes, you can head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash restory 3-14. And may you live a brand new story this week.